Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Happy Mother's Day. It is good to see all of you here today. You're all here because you have a mother. You wouldn't be in the world unless you had one. And so today is a day to remember that and honor the fact that you are in this world because you have a mother. Whether she's still with us or not, we say Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers here this morning and for all of us to remember to honor our mothers. We've been talking the last few weeks about choices, the choices God makes for us. And we know that when God makes a choice, it is not only the right choice, but it's a choice that influences us throughout our entire lives. We began looking, first of all, at God choosing us at any age in time. It doesn't matter how old we are. He chose John the Baptist before he was ever born. He chose the Apostle Paul as an adult who was very anti what Jesus was doing. But age didn't matter. When God chooses, he chooses. And God not only chooses us for salvation, but he has a plan and purpose for us, and he chooses us for service. He chose Matthew, a tax collector that nobody thought even belonged in service to the Lord and made him one of his disciples. He delivered a demon-possessed man who wanted to be one of his disciples, but Jesus knew he would best be a witness if he stayed where he was because he knows what our gifts and talents are and where will make the most impact. He chose how he made us, body, soul, and spirit. We talked about that we are made to be integrated together, the three, in harmony. And that when we are in harmony with God, harmony with ourselves, with who we are, we are complete in him, and we are best able to do what he's called us to do. Last week, we looked at a courageous mother as we had the opportunity to confirm our youth catechism class and looked at the mother of Moses and how courageous she was to mark Moses and circumcise him as an infant, knowing full well that she would not be able to keep him with her, but would send him out and hope for the best. But she knew that God was in charge. And when Pharaoh's daughter plucked him out of that basket, she knew immediately he was a Hebrew child. But that didn't matter to her because God had chosen how all this was going to work. And so as a mother, she had faith in God. And she knew that God would take care of her. Today, as we celebrate Mother's Day, As I said, we are here because we have a mother. Our mothers chose to give us life. And because they have chosen to give us life, they are worthy of honor and respect. Today is just one of those days to remember who's responsible for you, how you got here. Because every mother's courageous in her own way. She gave you life, particularly in our culture today. It's easy easy for mothers to deny life to a child. It takes courage sometimes to bring a child into the world, particularly when you look around at all that is happening and think, this is really not the best that 
life could be, and I don't know what the future might hold for my child. I don't even know if it's worth bringing them into the world because of all the things they're going to face. But a courageous mother knows that life is a gift. And life isn't just a gift that we give to each generation. Life is a gift from God because he's the author of life. And so when we remember where life comes from and know that no matter what the circumstances may be around us, the giver of life will see us through to whatever generation we are born into because he is the one who guides and protects and watches over us. And we don't have to worry about the future. We are here by choice. The choice of our mothers to give us life and the choice of God to give us life as well. You know, who your mother is was not a choice that you could make. You didn't stay up in heaven before you were born and look at every family on the earth and say, God, I want to be part of that family. So let me be born into that family. It doesn't work that way. You're just born into a family. God put you there. You didn't have much choice about it. That's what we're talking about in this series, the choices God makes. And so God chose the family into which you would be born, and and you may like that or not like that, but it was God's choice. And that means that he has a plan and purpose behind it, and he will see it through if we trust in him and know that he's in charge. But what should be our response to this choice that the Lord has made? He chose who our mother would be. He chose who our father would be. And he brought us into a family. So knowing that God made that choice, how do we react? What should our choices be? What should our response be to that choice, better said? When Ephesians 6, verses 2 and 3, Paul wrote it this way, as he was reciting one of the commandments as part of the Ten Commandments. He said this, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. See, to honor your parents is to enjoy a long life. That's a simple commandment. It's one we've probably all heard before. But what does it really mean? That's what we want to talk about this morning. What does it mean to honor your parents, to honor your father and mother? How do you show honor? Today's a day when we talk about showing honor to our parents, or to our mothers in particular, which for many just means either going out to dinner or buying a gift or, or you know, going over to visit. But is that, is that really what the commandment's talking about? Is that what honor really is? And what does it mean that if we honor our mother and father, that we're going to have a long life on earth. How long is a long life? Because sometimes it seems that's not really true. We know people that got along really well with their parents, honored them quite well, but they didn't live a long life. They died early. Conversely, we know the opposite, too. We know people that were terrible to their parents, Caused them nothing but heartache. Were terrible their whole lives. And they just seem to go on forever. They never die. And so we say, what does it mean that if you honor your parents, you're going to have a long life? And then how do you honor someone who basically wasn't a good mother? 
Maybe you were born into one of those dysfunctional families where you weren't taught how to love God and life wasn't easy and you're affected by it. What does it mean to honor somebody like that? So what's the commandment about? How do we do it? That's what we want to talk about this morning as we look at what it means to honor both our parents, but since this is Mother's Day, particularly our mother. And to do that, we go to a story in the Bible about a group of people who the Lord said, understand what this commandment is all about. The story is found in Jeremiah chapter 35. It's an odd story for Mother's Day, but it fits because it shows us what the Lord is looking for when he talks about honoring your father and mother. It begins this way in Jeremiah 35. It says, This is the message the Lord gave Jeremiah when Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, was king of Judah. Go to the settlement where the families of the Rechabites live and invite them to the Lord's temple. Take them into one of the inner rooms and offer them some wine. So I went to see Jazaniah, son of Jeremiah, and grandson of Habazaniah, and all his brothers and sons, representing all of the Rechabite families. I took them to the temple, and we went into the room assigned to the sons of Hanan, son of Igdalgia, a man of God. This room was located next to the one used by the temple officials, directly above the room of Messiah, son of Shalom, the temple great gatekeeper. I set cups and jugs of wine before them and invited them to have a drink, but they refused. No, they said, we don't drink wine, because our ancestor, Jehonadab, son of Rechab, gave us this command. You and your descendants must never drink wine. And do not build houses or plant crops or vineyards, but always live in tents. If you follow these commands, you will live long, good lives in the land. So we have obeyed him in all these things. We have never had a drink of wine to this day, nor have our wives, our sons, or our daughters. We haven't built houses or owned vineyards or farms or planted crops. We have lived in tents and have fully obeyed all the commands of Jehonadab, our ancestor. But when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacked this country, we were afraid of the Babylonian and Syrian armies. So we decided to move to Jerusalem, and that is why we are here. Who are these people that Jeremiah invited into the temple? Well, if you go all the way back in the Bible, you find this is a group of people that are descended from the father-in-law of Moses. When Moses' father-in-law came to visit him, it was very obvious that they loved the true God as well. And so as descendants of Moses' father-in-law, They were God followers. They they understood Jehovah and who he was, and they worshipped him and followed him as well. But they weren't one of the 12 tribes of Israel. They weren't descended from the sons of Jacob. And as such, that meant they did not have an inheritance in the land of Canaan, because Canaan was the inheritance for Jacob's sons. But they were allowed to live there. They were allowed to live because they worshipped the true God, Joshua was commanded to destroy all the people that were idolaters and and would not worship the true God, but the Rechabites worshiped God. 
And then they had one of their descendants called Jehonadab, who is the father of the particular tribe we're reading about today, who was very zealous for God. He loved God with all his heart. And at the time that Ahab was king of Israel, Ahab's the one who had Jezebel as his wife, and the great apostasy of Israel came and the house of Jacob, or house of Ahab, was declared dead. God said, that dynasty's over. Every single descendant of Ahab is going to be put to death. That house will not live any longer. Jehu came on the scene to make that happen. And when he began to destroy the house of Ahab, it was Jehonadab that stood with him, that said, I'm on your side. I'm going to help you. The story is recorded in 2 Kings 10. And he said, I'm going to help you because I know that God is with you. And as the two of them together, they actually worked to destroy Baal worship in Israel and pretty much eradicated it because they understood the importance of worshiping the true God and doing it that way. And his zealousness for God not only helped him to answer the call that went forth at that time to eradicate the wrong worship, but he made a vow. He made a vow because he loved God and knew that God was with him and had blessed him. And he wanted that blessing to continue from each generation that would follow him. Not just a blessing for himself, but a blessing for his descendants as well. And so he said, God, I will do this and and I will expect my descendants to do it as well. And if they do that, I know that you will continue to bless us because of the kind of God you are. So the vow he made was, one, we will not drink any wine. It's like the Nazarite vow. But then he said also, we will live in tents. We will not establish homes. We will not have farms. We will not raise crops. We will be nomads. We will live in tents. That right there showed that he accepted the inheritance that God was going to give him. Because technically, he wasn't entitled to an inheritance of the land. But that didn't matter to him. Anadab knew that the inheritance he would have from God was worth any other inheritance that he could have materially throughout his life. And so their tribe would be nomadic. They would move around. They would not buy homes. They would not raise crops. They basically were cattlemen, and they lived that way. He lived with eternity in mind because he knew it wasn't just about himself and what he would receive during his life. He wanted his descendants to be blessed by God as well. And now at the point that we just read in Jeremiah, the story that we just looked at in chapter 35, it's now almost 300 years after Jehonadab had made that vow. For 300 years, his descendants have been faithful to the vow that he had made. You've got to appreciate that because most of us can't even name our descendants if we go back 300 years. But for 300 years, they were true to the vow that he had made. But now, 
Israel and Judah's apostasy has brought Babylon to their door. Israel has already been assimilated by the Assyrians. You would think that Judah would have learned their lesson, but they didn't. They kept straying from God. And now Babylon's on the scene to destroy them. And so the Rechabites, this group that's descended from Jehonadab, comes to Jerusalem for protection. It was easy to get to Jerusalem. They didn't have to sell anything. They didn't have to worry about their crops and their failures and who would take care of them or how they feed their kids because they knew how to do that. They were nomadic. So to move in Jerusalem was not a big issue for them, but they were there for the protection as the armies began to roll through the land. And when they get there, Jeremiah calls them into the temple because God said to Jeremiah, I want you to talk to these people. It was going to be a lesson to everyone. He puts out something to drink. Why would he put out wine knowing full well they don't drink wine? He's putting them to the test. He wants to see what they're going to do. This is the prophet of God that's called them into the temple. And he says, here, have a drink before we start to talk. But no, they said, we don't do that. We're not going to touch that. We never have and we never will. Because even though you've called us into the temple, our loyalty is not to you. Our loyalty is to God. And we already have made a vow to God, and that's what we're going to keep. We're going to keep our vows to God. They honored their family heritage. They honored their God. And now, even as Jeremiah is talking to them, they're going to respect that honor. And they tell them, we don't drink wine, and we still live in tents. Because that's the kind of people we are. We're faithful to the vow. See, they were a true example of what it means to really honor your father and mother. First of all, true honor goes to God. You can't really follow that commandment if you don't honor God first. And these people put God first. They knew that that vow was because of God's blessing. And so they were still faithful to serve the God, the Jehovah that they had been taught. They knew life came from Jehovah. They knew that the life that they enjoyed was because of the blessing of God. And so they remained true to their faith in God because of that blessing, because they understood God is the source of all. And so first they honored God, but then they honored their parents. And so once that vow was made, that was taught to each generation And each generation in turn respected the vow that their parents had made and they honored their parents by keeping that vow, by maintaining their identity, both in the Lord and with each other. Because that's what they had been taught to do and they understood that's what was important. When I read a story like that, I I, I have to look at it and go, how do you get generation after generation to follow God and respect their parents for over 300 years to a vow that I'm sure at times was very difficult to keep. Because for a lot of us, it's difficult to even keep one generation in the church, let alone 300 years of generations. But somehow they had been able to instill in each generation who their God was, and what it meant to follow their God. How'd they do it? 
You know, because I'm sure there were kids as they came along through the years that, you know, wanted to live in a house. You know, as they're wandering through the land and they got to a neighborhood of all nice, big, pretty houses. Some of them had, you know, a lot of trees around, probably had a swimming pool, had all kinds of nice things. And the kids would go, why can't we have a house like that? You know, I want to live in a house like that. And they get to drink wine, so why can't we drink wine? What's the harm in that, you know? Doesn't seem to be bothering them. What's, what's one drink? You know, why can't we do, not do any of it ever? Well, I don't think they sustained that through 300 years by saying things like, Oh, honey, I know that's a nice house, but, you know, we, we got a tent. We have to live in a tent. I know, and I know they have a pretty farm, and they've got everything they want, but, you know, we're Rechabites, and so we don't get a house. And You know, maybe someday that'll change, but, you know, right for right now, it can't change. Drink, I can't have a drink, you know, the rules. Uh, I didn't write the rules, but those are the rules, so, you know, we have to follow the rules. Uh, you want to leave the family and go, you know, disobey and go over there? I understand if you do that, but remember, we'll always love you. You know, no matter what choice you make, we'll always love you. So you can come back, and even though you've defied everything about our heritage, it's okay because we'll always love you. I don't think that's the approach they took for 300 years. Because if you take that approach, your family's not going to last. I think when one of the kids said to them, Why can't we have a house? Why can't I have a drink? I think the parents came back and said, because we're Rechabites, and we don't do that. We are blessed by God, and you are not going to destroy that blessing because of some crazy idea in your head that you want to do something different. That's not who you are. We're not raising you that way. Look at the blessings God has given us. We get to live in a tent. That means we can go anywhere we want. These poor people, they're tied to the land. If they have a bad season and not a lot of rain and the harvest doesn't come in, they're going to be hungry. We don't have that problem. If there's nothing to eat here, we just move to where the food is. We can go somewhere else. We can pack up and go anytime. We are blessed people. And that blessing is because we are true to God and we honor our parents. And so if you want to mess up that blessing, you go right ahead. But don't think that you're coming back here to mess up our blessing because that's not going to happen. They did not apologize for who they were or what they believed. And that seemed to impress in each generation the importance of who they were. They knew their identity. They knew the source of their life. They knew where blessing came from. And they thanked God every day for the blessing that they enjoyed. See, you can't raise a generation fully devoted to God by apologizing for what God has called you to do. You have to be excited about what God is doing. You have to know the truth of who God is. And then you have to instill it in the next generation. This is the only way to live, and it's the only way we're going to accept. 
When you start teaching the next generation that way, you begin to instill in them the importance of who they believe and what it means to honor God and to honor their parents. Israel didn't get it. And Israel didn't raise their children that way. They were never quite sure who they were or why they were following God. And so they had a very different result. So Jeremiah received another word from the Lord, a word to Israel, a word to Israel to compare them to the Rechabites to show the difference. Verse 12, it says, Then the Lord gave this message to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Go and say to the people in Judah and Jerusalem, Come and learn a lesson about how to obey me. The Rechabites do not drink wine to this day because their ancestor, Jehonadab, told them not to. But I have spoken to you again and again, and you refuse to obey me. Time after time I sent you prophets who told you, turn from your wicked ways and start doing things right. Stop worshiping other gods so that you might live in peace here in the land I have given to you and your ancestors. But you would not listen to me or obey me. The descendants of Jehonadab, son of Rechab, have obeyed their ancestor completely. But you have refused to listen to me. Therefore, this is what the Lord God of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Because you refuse to listen or answer when I call, I will send upon Judah and Jerusalem all the disasters I have threatened. See, Israel had failed in their response to God. They refused to honor the faith of their parents. They refused to honor the God that they served. They had rebellion in their hearts. And because of that rebellion, they could not live for eternity. They cared only about today. They cared only about themselves. And what they could have while they were on earth. They indulged their children. And they let them do as they pleased and wouldn't correct and discipline them. Even when they violated God's word. They were God's special people. God had plucked them out and delivered them from Egypt by his mighty hand. Had given them a land to live in. And instead of being thankful. Instead of knowing the source of their blessing, they rejected that God. They turned to idolatry and thought they could do whatever they wanted. And so for them over those 300 years, they kept moving farther and farther away from God. Their children over time knew less and less about what it meant to worship the true God. And God's word became less and less heeded. Until finally God had had enough and he sent judgment in the form of Babylon to take them out. See, rejecting the source of life, rejecting the God who gave them life, refusing to honor their parents who brought them into the world with life, they chose instead to have death. Because when you don't stay true to the source of life, the only alternative is death. So they were driven from the land. Many of them were killed at that time. 
And their generations for many were cut off. In fact, the whole history of Israel is the cutting off of generations because of their refusal to follow God. That's what happened to Ahab. That's what happened to Jeroboam. That's what happened to so many of their kingly dynasties. They came to an abrupt end because they would not extend from generation to generation because God's blessing had been taken away because of their refusal to follow the faith of their ancestors. But now God says to Jeremiah again, show Israel as he just did what they did wrong. But now give this blessing to the Rechabites because even when you call them in, even under this pressure of Babylon, they would not give in to the world. They would stay true to their beliefs. Verse 18 says, Then Jeremiah turned to the Rechabites and said, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. You have obeyed your ancestor Jehonadab in every respect, following all his instructions. Therefore, this is what the Lord of heaven's army, the God of Israel, says. Jehonadab, son of Rechab, will always have descendants who serve me. See, that's long life. That's how God extends life to those who are true to that commandment, to honor your father and mother. It doesn't mean just you individually will have long life. It means your family will have long life. You will have a family from generation to generation to generation. If you honor the God that you serve and you honor the faith of your fathers, blessing continues through generations when we love and serve God and honor our parents. See, we have to look through the eyes of eternity instead of the eyes of today. It's not just about me and my own kids and maybe my grandkids. It's about future generations I don't even know yet. And it means instilling in each generation that comes after you the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and why Jesus needs to be a part of your life. So today the question really is for every family here, are you an Israelite or a Rechabite? And I mean an Israelite at the time of Jeremiah, not, not the Israelites later, but are you an Israelite or a Rechabite? Because if you're an Israelite, that means your children aren't really serving God or that you don't serve God the way you should because you got a rebellious heart. What was the problem of Israel? Well, first of all, it was idolatry. That means God was never first in their lives. Something else was always first. For them, they would serve actual other gods. They had idols. And we tend to think today that we are not involved in idolatry, though we're probably the most idolatrous generation that's ever been on earth. And one of the problems and one of the idols that we have is, in fact, our own children. Because for too many people, your children are your idols. See, the commandment says that we obey our father and mother. It doesn't say, or that we honor our father and mother. It doesn't say that father and mother honor their children. See, and for a lot of people, that's what you're doing. You honor your children more than you honor God. 
I've known parents, they think the absolute worst possible thing uh, that could ever happen is for their children to be offended with them. As if they discipline them and then their child's not happy that, oh my Lord, the end of the world. Poor little thing, their little psyche's going to be bruised. You know, they need to be disciplined. They need to be taught what they believe. And you need to expect it. But you teach first by example. See, how do you teach children to honor your parents? You teach them first to honor the calling that God has placed on your life. Now, that means, number one, you have to have a calling on your life because they need to see that calling and what you're doing. And then you teach children to respect that calling because too often we put our own callings aside in order to indulge our children. I've talked to many people that say, oh, I would love to work in the church, but I just don't have the time. What are you doing? Well, most mothers today have been reduced to uh, transportation people. Well, I've got to take them here, I've got to take them here, I've got to do this. Everybody's too busy. We can't get involved in church. Maybe when they graduate. Well, by the time they graduate, they won't love God. Because you don't have a calling and they haven't been taught to respect it. I talked to one person, I remember one time that, Actually, she had married a doctor, and a very good doctor. And so as you command, because he was a good doctor, that meant he wasn't home very much. Because, you know, when you're sick, do you care that your doctor has things to do at home? No. When you're sick, you want him there. That's what doctors do. It's a magnificent calling of God on a person's life to be called into the medical field because God has equipped them for that and to heal and help people. It's a tremendous calling. But because of his calling, he could not be at every sports event that that child was in. He couldn't come to every game simply because he didn't have the time. He was always at the hospital, always had to do something. And instead of teaching the child to respect that calling and say, honey, your father loves you, But he is called by God to be a doctor. And that means he can't make every game that you're in. He'll make the ones he can. But he loves you and he provides and we respect his calling. And God will make up the difference another way. So don't worry that little Johnny over there has a dad that never misses a game. His dad doesn't get to be a doctor. Or worry about somebody else is doing something. You teach respect for the calling of God. And you don't worry about what the culture says you need to be doing. And when you honor God that way, and you honor the calling that God places on the lives of people, your children learn the importance of doing it God's way. They don't need to be indulged. They need to be taught. And when you teach them to honor their mother and father, you teach them the greatest calling that they could ever have. But we live in a very youth culture today. Everybody uh, respects the young and despises the old. Everyone wants to be young. We, We have more things available to keep you young today than probably ever. We've got surgery to make you look younger. We got all the right foods to keep you healthier. We're going to live forever. Uh, We just want to be young. I went to the store the other day just to try to buy some new clothes. 
I know fashion designers think everybody's 20 and skinny. There are no clothes to buy. And you say, I don't want to look that way. I'm not 20. I can admit it. But it's impossible because we are so focused on the young. But where is wisdom found? Wisdom found with the old, according to the word of God. Those who have experienced something in life. Those who have made it through the hard times and have learned how to do it. Those whose advice we should be listening to because they have something to say. Why do you want to listen to a 20-year-old who's never done a blessed thing in his life? He doesn't have a job, hasn't paid a bill, hasn't done anything, but we're supposed to listen to them. They don't know anything. Give them 20 years. They'll change their mind on a lot. Give them 40 years. They might even have more to say. Because life is a lesson as you go through it. And when you think you know everything, you know nothing. And that's what age teaches you. How many of you, older now, past, past 20, let's say, know that you know more now than you used to? Not always learned the best way, but you did learn, whether you made good choices or bad. Now, what you thought you knew, you didn't know so well. And every time we think we know more than God and we can do it better than him, those are the life lessons you really don't want to learn. When your parents try to discipline you, have you ever had come out of your mouth a phrase like, you know, I didn't ask to be born. You know, when they tell you that, you know, they provided for you, they put clothes on your back and... Put food in your mouth and you just go, well, I didn't ask to be born, you know, because you don't want to listen to them. That's a great violation of the commandment. Because, of course, you didn't ask to be born. Life is a gift from God. It was God's choice to bring you into this world. And when you resist that choice... You're not just arguing back to your parents. You're arguing with God because he gave you life and life is to be relished, not to be despised. But once you get a rebellious heart, once you don't want to listen to the wisdom of your parents, then life begins to fall apart because when you don't appreciate life, you open the door to death. The Israelites did that by their idolatry. And also it says they refused to listen to the prophets. God sent the prophet after prophet to tell them what they needed to do, but they didn't want to do it. And so they just didn't listen. How often today we want a watered-down word, one that's comfortable, one that makes us feel good. And the meat of the word is not something that we want to spend a lot of time with because it's just too hard or it just takes too much adjustment or, you know, I have to change too much. But it is still the word of God that is truth. And it is only the word of God and following it that will bring blessing. So here's my word to you on Mother's Day. Begin to live life with eternity in mind. Not just for today, but for the generations that are coming after you. When you don't live for eternity, 
your viewpoint in life becomes very skewed. So we have a culture today that doesn't live for eternity. So what did they do? They reduce Mother's Day to an event, a day. So we should all go out to dinner. We should buy a little present, send a few flowers, and we've honored our mother on Mother's Day. Now, by saying that, I don't mean that you shouldn't do that. You should take your mother out today. You should buy them a gift, and you should be nice today. But God's way is not a day. It's a lifestyle. You honor your mother by honoring her faith and honoring God. If you had a godly mother and she's gone today, we rejoice that she's with the Lord God. She's with Jesus in heaven. But the way you continue to honor her is by knowing Jesus Christ is your Savior and understanding you are going to be with her again someday because of the blood of Jesus Christ. If your mother was a godly woman, you honor her by having a relationship with Jesus Christ yourself. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are not honoring your mother. I don't care how many restaurants you take her to. I don't care how much jewelry you buy. I don't care how many times you call her on the phone. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have not honored your mother because you have not honored her faith. Are you a mother? What are you teaching your children, your grandchildren? Are you teaching them eternity? Are you teaching them the importance of Jesus Christ being their Savior? Or have you let a million other things get in the way of that teaching? Because a godly household understands who God is and doesn't let anything become an idol and get in the way. But what about if you didn't have a godly mother? What if you didn't have someone that's deserving of respect? You were raised in chaos and and you don't even know what it means on a day like this to honor your father or mother because your mother isn't deserving of honor. And your family is so dysfunctional, you still don't know how to get it together. Well, here's the hope of Jesus Christ. You can be the Joe John. What's his name? Joanadab of your family. He was zealous for God, and he started a dynasty that lasted at the point in Jeremiah over 300 years. And so regardless of how you came up, you can be the one who starts the new family in God that will see generations follow because of your faith. That's what it means to honor God and honor your family. Because this is the commandment that promises life. Life to every generation. Because you understand life is a gift from God. And your mother brought you into the world to give you that gift of life. So honor your mother by honoring Jesus Christ and being part of his family and that takes courage because we live in a day when to be a Christian is not easy it was not easy for the Rechabites over all those hundreds of years to stay true to their faith but they were courageous people 
who knew the source of their blessing. And if we are courageous people and know the source of our blessing, then we are courageous mothers, we are courageous fathers, we are courageous people because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. This morning is our opportunity to pray for healing. And we know healing is possible and a blessing from God because of the God we serve. We know Jesus Christ makes it possible to heal. And so this morning, not only can we pray for health and issues in our own bodies that need healing, but it's a good day to pray for families as well. If you're the rebellious heart who doesn't want to do it the Lord's way, you can come down this morning and repent and, and put yourself into the hands of Jesus. If you're the one, mother or, or whoever who has people in your family who don't know the Lord, you can ask for prayer for them today and ask the Holy Spirit to go after them. He can heal family situations. He can heal our bodies. He can heal in so many different ways. He can heal ourselves. Maybe you've been wounded by your family and the hurts and the disappointments and the rejections have made you feel you don't really fit in or you can't really be used. But God has a plan for you and he wants to use you and he can heal the inside spirit of you as much as he can heal the body. And so you can come this morning knowing that you can find rest and peace and healing through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask the elders and ministers if they'll come and take their place at the altar. While they're doing that, let me just bring some of our prayer needs before you as we pray, and then we'll have the opportunity to come and ask the Lord's blessing. John Isfan fell, broke his wrist and his rib, and then found to have fluid in his lungs. He's still in the hospital. Ken Mazzola is still having intestinal problems with no answers. Lindsay Ross, this is the daughter-in-law of Rhonda Ross, 28 weeks pregnant, is in the hospital with complications and will probably have to stay in the hospital until he's born. And the families of Gus Albrecht and Vita Bryant as well in their time of loss. Father, we come knowing you are the healer knowing that no situation is too hard for you. And so, Lord, we ask you this morning, as we put our faith in you, that you will indeed extend your healing hand to those we've mentioned this morning that need a touch. But, Lord, as each one comes this morning, may you meet them at the point of their need. And may this day when we celebrate the mothers that gave us life, may we celebrate the life that we have in you as well. And may we be the people you've called us to be. And so whatever healing needs to take place in families, in body, in soul, or spirit, whatever it may be, Lord, as we come this morning, may you meet us. May your Holy Spirit just reach out to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If you'd like prayer this morning, just step out of your seats and come on down to the altars. The ushers are here to help you find someone to pray with. If you're remaining in your seat, just continue to worship with us as we sing unto the Lord and worship his name. Won't you all stand?
we take the opportunity here to remember our mothers today and however you are celebrating or what you are doing to know that Jesus Christ is the life giver and we put ourselves into his hands he will direct our steps and whatever life may have been in the past it will be better in the future with Jesus Christ in charge remember that amen and know to honor your parents is to honor their faith that means if your parents raised you in the faith of Jesus Christ you honor them by knowing Jesus Christ yourself If your parents did not raise you that way, they did not know Jesus Christ, then here's your opportunity to begin a new family that will have long life from generation to generation because of the faith and zeal that you have for Christ. So go today as we go, not only to celebrate this beautiful spring day, but to know that life is in the hands of Jesus Christ. And what better hands could you possibly be in? Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for everything you do for us. We thank you for the healing that we experience here at these altars. Lord, to just know that you are mindful of our situations. You know our hurts, our frustrations, our fears. You know when we're sick. You know everything about us. And Lord, you just didn't make us to leave us in this condition, but you came to save us. You came to let us have a relationship with you and be together with you through all eternity. We are the family of God. But Lord, we want our own families to be part of that family as well. Because what a rejoicing it is going to be to be with you through all eternity with all the generations of our families that have called you Lord. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness through all these generations and know that you will continue to be faithful in the generations yet to come. Lord, bless us. Keep us in your hands as we go in your grace and as we pray in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a good day. Happy Mother's Day to everyone. Have a good time this afternoon.